This episode is a little heavy. I don't know if you really remember the film Gone with the Wind, but it tackles some pretty heavy subjects, and it would be negligent of us not to get into those. But if you don't want to hear about rape or the violence that happens towards slaves, maybe skip this one. Mm-hmm. We we talk very deeply and intimately in regards to racism. So yeah, we just, we just want to give you guys a heads up if that's not something you're you're into listening to right now we totally understand but if uh if you can stomach it i hope you have a good time mm-hmm. on a slightly less somber note just a small apology for how long it took for us to get this episode out but this past month has been a lot life has been crazy we've both had covid and we just needed a break hopefully after this we'll be back on schedule our regular monthly schedule. Our regular monthly schedule. Apparently, people who listen to this don't know what our schedule is. It's monthly. It's monthly. We we do appreciate uh, everybody who is listening. So thank you. Oh, the year is nineteen forty. Nineteen forty is a pretty consequential year in terms of world history. The big war is happening. World War Two. By the end of the year, France will have been conquered by Nazi forces. Auschwitz will have opened its doors, and its first seven hundred and twenty-eight residents from Poland will have been formally admitted. It's a bad time. It feels bad to call them residents. Victims. <laughs> they're labeled as political prisoners. I don't know necessarily what that means. What what I think it means is that they're not only Jewish, they're also communist sympathizers. Mm. But it could mean a lot of things. Really, could mean whatever they want it to. That's yeah. the beauty. On a lighter note, in 1940, scientists concluded that consumption of ice cream was the leading cause of the polio epidemic. Let's not forget there was a polio ep- epidemic in 1940. Yeah. Mm-hmm. solely based on the stats that there were more cases of polio in the summer which was also when children ate the most ice cream it, it really is a um a correlation does not equal causation moment it's a very good moment for like the flaws of using statistics mm-hmm. science gets better sometimes hopefully, hopefully. not now not now in is this. a bad time. Yeah, because something else wild, something else bananas happens in um, in the year 1940, which is that... What is it? Gone with the Wind wins. Sweeps the Oscars, in fact. Absolutely destroys the Oscars. Best picture, best director, best actor, best actress, best supporting actress, best supporting actor, best visual effects. Not best original song. Best soundtrack. I'll be your critic, Mavis Evergreen. I'm here to talk about feminism and racism and the erasure of history. Yeah, I am your other co-host, Andres Reyes, and I'm going to be talking about history. We're going to be talking a lot about Civil War and Reconstruction era history. Um, I also try to bring a minority perspective into things as much as I can, but this um, I'm a little out of my depth with this one, but I'm going to do my best. And I'm also going to be talking just a little bit about film history and, you know, also try to lend a socialist perspective as much as I can. Do you want to hear a summary? I would love to hear a summary. All right. Gone with the Wind is a romantic epic directed by known Nazi supporter Victor Fleming and starring Vivian Leigh and Clark Gable. The movie follows the twisted life of one Scarlett O'Hara from before the Civil War to long after Reconstruction. Her simple-minded romance with Ashley Wilkes, her hated-until-death 
relationship with his wife, Melanie Hamilton, and her parade of marriages ending with Rhett Butler, as well as her constant belittling of those with black skin takes center stage. Slut. Rather short summary today, because because we're going to get into most of the movie. All beautiful, extravagant, award-winning four hours. Four hours. Four hours. It could have been like three hours and 30 minutes if the intermissions were cut. Okay, let's just get that out of the way right now. Best my favorite, scene in the my movie. My favorite part of the movie is when it said end of movie, and I was like, oh, thank God. I mean, the least of its sins is how long it is, for sure. For sure. Do we, is there anything good we can say about this movie? Is there any, like, we might as well start there because- This is the first movie we watched that's in color, so that's- That's something, yeah. That's just a fact. It's devoid of any meaning. It is a pretty looking movie. It has. Some- They're doing a lot with special effects that no other movie has done thus far. Yeah, not it- like ever. I mean, obviously in our watch history. And it hits you a little harder because it's in color, right? The violence of war. Yeah, is it really was striking in color. It's true. The costuming is good. Was really going incredibly for. extravagant. That's this- a different. That conversation leads down bad roads. Yeah, that um, we'll get to. Anything else we liked about this movie? That's I li- it. You know, I- honestly, I am gonna say whoever was playing Melanie, o- Olivia. De Havilland, I think her name is, plays Melanie. She's great. Honestly, she is a fantastic actress. She's doing a lot with the role. Uh, in your words, an angel gifted by God. Unto the Confederacy, yes. That is her character. That's her character, not necessarily. I wasn't speaking about the actress and my feelings towards her. I just feel like that really colors our appreciation. So where should we start? I guess we should start at the beginning. We should start, and I hate to do this, we should start with the Civil War. <laughs> I think we should, okay, then let's start talking about the Civil War. Fair. So the Civil War, for those of you who don't know, the Civil War is a war that happened in the United States. I can't give you the dates. I can't give you the years. It was in the mid to late 1800s, and it was fought over slavery. And there are people in the United States and around the world who will tell you that it was fought for things like states' rights and... States States rights and the rights of states and how the states should have those rights to own slaves because that's what the war was about. It was about the right to own slavery. And this is a thing that is, as I am speaking to you, trying to be uh, rewritten and uh, out of children's textbooks. And in part because of this fucking book. The entire point of this book was propaganda. (laughs) was to make the South, as one might say, great again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, so it was written by Margaret Mitchell in 1936. And in the words of her brother, the, the book was a blow struck for the Southland. This is the most feelings over facts book I have ever had the, the inspiration of knowing about. I, I haven't read it, I should point out, because I'm not going to, because fuck that shit. But like... We have done a lot of research I, around it. And yes. by we, I mean Andy. Yeah, I have read so much. And the thing, that, the thing that's really sinister about this book, the thing that it does is that it introduces to the world the concept of the gentle South, of the old South as we think of it today. Because the South as it as was... As the book might put it, a greater civilization that we lost. That we lost. This never existed. The real, true historical South as it existed was a living hell on earth, right? It was a part of the world in which slaves were overwhelmingly mutilated, 
and murdered and raped and having their labor abused by shitty white owners entirely for the sake of profit in order to keep the wheels of capitalism in the South ever turning. Um, It was oiled by the blood of African-Americans. And this entire book's conceit is that actually it was good. Beautiful and good. It was a garden of Eden. large part... No, there's no way to like sugarcoat this. And that the slaves needed white masters to tell them what they were doing because they were just too dumb to live on their own, actually. Yeah, on top of this book trying to kind of rewrite what the cause of the Civil War it is. It never does land on anything other than like, well, we have to protect our home. We have to protect what the part cause. Of, what, what are you protecting again? We, we won't say that. That's too dirty. It's an obfuscation, right? There is a power in the stupidity of saying that the war was about states' rights. The power is obfuscation. It allows you to maintain your racism. Um, without and saying it. Without saying it. Um, the, the other thing that this book does is incredibly belittle all of the very, very small and minute gains that were made during the Reconstruction era, which was an era of failure in American history. It was a time in which we could have righted all of the wrongs that we had done to the African-Americans, to the enslaved population of this country, and we fucking failed. We failed them. We took away all of their power, reinstated Jim Crow laws and other segregation laws. I mean, after the war with the South, we basically were like, hey, all of you rich people, who we just had a war with. Well, we don't want you to stay mad forever. So we'll kind of just let you reinstitute slavery, actually. In everything but name. Yeah. And just not actually enforce the win we got at all. And the book is rewriting this history as well, right? It's saying that Reconstruction happened not because of the unwillingness of Union states to uphold their promises to the black population or the incredible vileness of white plantation owners to reinstate their power over that black population, but that it was the result of stupidity, of greed. The KKK had to exist in order to subjugate horrible, awful, rapist black people. And we had to instate these Jim Crow laws for their protection. Just police helping save damsels in distresses from getting raped by black men. And and the KKK are loving husbands. You say all of this out loud and it sounds ridiculous, right? It sounds like, come on. It's Surely it's not It is that bad. It is so that bad. And the the one thing that you can say about this movie is that it files all of that down into it a nice... It doesn't get rid of it, though. It doesn't get rid of it. Which makes it kind of even more problematic because now you're doing and dog-whistling to all of those things, but a person who doesn't know better doesn't notice all of the problematic things because they're softer now. It's why I they're think... They're not the KKK. They're at political meetings. <laughs> why is he getting shot at a political meeting? Well... And also, the movie just admits that, like, oh, no, they were they were killing a bunch of black people, actually, mm-hmm. in, like, a homeless shelter. Yeah, in a shanty town. Um, it's, it's vile. It's, it's, this is a movie that peddles in lies and cruelty and racism, but it does it with the nice sugar coating. Taking all the nasty words out. Yeah. So there is a thesis that was published in 2020 in the Journal of African American History by a T.H. Edmondson called Protesting a Bigger, Better Birth of a Nation. I highly encourage everybody uh, look into it and read it. It's a fantastic thesis. One of the things that, that it gets into is an earlier article by a man named um, Leff 
that goes into the the history of the film and the long fight that Selznick had with the kind of early incarnation of the Motion Picture Association of America, the Production Code Administration, for the entirety of the film's production, from him getting the rights to the book in 1936 to the movie being finished in 1939, um, of the inclusion of the N-word. Everybody and their mother was like, you cannot you cannot do this. You cannot have this word in this movie. What are they? The NAACP? Mm-hmm. Walter White, that is his name, um, wrote multiple letters to him, imploring him to hire a black man, a black historian, to go over the script, to remove all of the racist elements. He And multiple, multiple letters were written and protests were done by various African-American writers and editors in regards to not only this movie's prolific use of the N-word in the script, but also just the overall racist nature of it. And there is something to be said about the idea that this movie shouldn't have been made at all. That whatever it is that you get out of this movie artistically, this was like a movie you saw as a kid and it really resonated with your whatever. I'm sorry, but the weight of harm that this movie has done historically, not only to African-American rights, but also the perception of African-Americans in history after this movie's release. It's so negative that I think an argument can be made that there is no reason to keep this movie in the public consciousness. And that's, I think it's a hard opinion to have. I'm I'm a firm believer in, you know, freedom of expression and all that shit, but like, only insofar as it doesn't cause harm. And I think it can easily be argued that this movie has caused... Immense harm. Unmeasurable harm. Like, when this movie came out, it was so popular that anti-lynching laws were canceled. And on, like, a personal level, there were multiple parties thrown where white people dressed in Southern Belle and made black people dress up as slaves to serve them. The the appeal of this movie and of treating people despicably was made so romantic and made accessible. It made racism a fad, right? Why not indulge in it? It's just a movie. It's fiction. But when you start cosplaying as racist Southern white owners... And literally forcing your employees... To be slaves. It lends itself kind of to an insidious air. There is something to be said about Haiti McDaniel being the first African-American woman ever to win an Oscar for Best Supporting Actress. I would say that that is a bullshit because not only could she not go to the premiere of her own movie because it was she a also segregated... She couldn't even get her Oscar because it was segregated. Yeah, like a white-only theater in Atlanta meant that she could not see the opening of the movie that she won an award for. And on top of all that, she couldn't even ex- she couldn't sit near the other actors whom she starred in this movie with to accept her Oscar. And on her deathbed, could not be buried in Hollywood Cemetery because it was a whites-only cemetery. And if your perception of what progress is is dictated by a shitty little golden statue, uh, you can go fuck yourself because this woman's it, her humanity was denied at every turn. Um, and By the, the same people giving her that statue. 
to basically as a complacency award. Mm-hmm. Thanks for playing the part. We hope you do it for the rest of your life. And she did. Yeah, there's like no ethnic group is a monolith and there are huge arguments that like playing these roles is not worth winning award for and is worsening stereotypes and creating further divide. And so like, I don't know, well, you could be like, oh, but she won an award and that's progress. There is a large group of people who would say actually know what she's doing is super offensive to black people. Mm-hmm. Both these sides have points. They have merits, right? Like, I'm not going to be the person to dictate to the African-American population what they should feel and how they should feel about these things. But there's divide there and you cannot say that it's all net good. And again, I think there is a tragedy that Haiti McDaniel couldn't even couldn't even accept her own fucking award. Right. Like, is mm-hmm. that progress? It sounds to me like it's backhanded bullshit. It sounds to me like giving out a handout because you know your movie's super culturally offensive and also because you know that black communities have been boycotting your movie all year long before the academy awards happened so i'm just saying there's some context there for why you might hand out this award their movie was supposed to was slated to premiere on h on hbo go i think at some point or Mm -hmm. whatever the fuck and there's a lot of protest over it and a lot of people acted as if this controversy came out of nowhere But it didn't. This controversy has existed since before this movie even started production, right? Like, African-Americans have been protesting this movie's incredibly racist dogma since the book came out. To pretend that it's modern wokeism that is trying to say that, hey, maybe this movie shouldn't be fucking screened for a modern audience is bullshit. It's ignoring the history that's right in front of you. Mm -hmm. The African-American population at the time that this movie was being made was protesting its entire existence. And we should be doing the same. We should be questioning the existence of a movie that has done so much to further the cause of white nationalism in our country. This was a better birth of a nation. This was a birth of a nation you could rally behind and not be ashamed. And like, that's not what you want your movie to be. And that's not a movie that you should be proud of. Sorry, like maybe you like this movie because you think the romance is good. Different conversation. I, I don't agree with you. But like that is not enough. And like like I mentioned earlier, there is a direct one-to-one correlation with this mm-hmm. movie's popularity and anti-lynching laws being killed by states. That is direct harm. That is direct harm that this movie has done. I can say without any sort of um, exaggeration that this movie caused the deaths of people. Of black people and for what so that people can cosplay a fucking era that never existed glory to a fucking like confederate rebel cause that fought and spilled blood to to spill the blood of black people like what are you defending i feel like i'm making up a dude in my mind to be mad at (laughs) but the thing is is i know i'm not because i saw these stories like on the new york times and fucking washington post of how oh but gone with the wind is such a great historical movie we can't just erase it because some because it makes some people uncomfortable uncomfortable. and it's like this is beyond discomfort it's direct harm it is historical lies parading as historical truths it's propaganda it's white nationalist propaganda, and it should be treated as such. We should treat this movie with the same contempt that we treat any Nazi film that was made to further the cause of Hitler's Germany. We should treat it with the same contempt we treat Birth of a Nation because it serves the same function. I shit you not, this was one of Hitler's favorite movies when it came out, and it's because he could see in it what I think a lot of 
centrist assholes don't, which is that this is furthering the cause of white nationalism. And in that, it means it's good. I did forget this is one of Hitler's favorite films. <laughs> and I really feel like that's such an end of an argument statement. Like, Hitler loved this movie. You should not love this you movie. You should not love this movie. So now and that we've yelled at you for why you shouldn't love this movie, let's get into the details. I want to bring up one more thing before we no, get into the details, it. which is that this movie was produced by, by David O. Selznick. David O. Selznick is a Jewish man. <laughs> and a lot of people, I think, will point to this as a sort of, well, the movie can't be all bad. Because it was produced by a Jewish person. I would like to point out earlier that I mentioned it was directed by a known Nazi supporter, which I think cancels out that. But just to go into it a little bit further. The Jewish community wrote this producer multiple letters saying like it's easy to be mad about a man doing atrocities thousands of miles away but it's a lot harder mm -hmm. to stop atrocities happening here. What the fuck are you doing? Mm -hmm. Like yelling at him like you're a Jewish man supporting this atrocity. What a hypocrite you are. There was an, an understanding, a solidarity between the Jewish community in the United States at the time and the NAACP and other black political groups in the United States, as well as the communist parties in the United States, that this movie could only, could only be a bad thing. And no matter how much you filed off the edges, ultimately what you're doing is counterproductive to the cause of being anti-racist in this country and mm -hmm. Selznick just couldn't couldn't understand this also used his Jewish card to be like actually it's okay that I'm producing this I'm Jewish I know what it's I like know what suffering to be harmed is. and this is pre-World War II by the way World War II is starting now World, yeah but... like I've mentioned in earlier podcasts that like we know at this point that Jewish people are being oppressed suppressed murdered and genocided all over Europe by Hitler and by Nazi German forces and other Nazi forces that are um, in support of his cause, that's already happening. But Selznick didn't know about that. Selznick was drawing on just anti-Semitism in general and trying to equate it to the suffering of African-Americans who not a generation ago were still enslaved peoples. And also at this time in the United States are being unjustly murdered, unjustly imprisoned, as if those things aren't still happening today. Sorry, they are. Um, unjustly lynched by racist mobs of hysteria. Like, there is no equality here. You cannot equate these sufferings. And not to say that Jewish people didn't and will not suffer more, right? But you can't play on victimhood when the people that are being victimized are outright telling you when your neighbors are telling you, dude, this is a bad idea. Everyone around him told him that this was a bad idea and he did not care. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't matter that he was Jewish is the whole point of this. Is the spiel. whole point of this, yeah. In the same way that it kind of doesn't matter that the director was a Nazi supporter, right? It doesn't. In the same way that it doesn't matter that all of the African-American actors in this film genuinely thought that they were reaching towards progress by being in it. In the same way that it doesn't matter that that the person who wrote this book didn't necessarily think of it as white nationalist propaganda. It doesn't matter. What matters is what it is. And what it is is white nationalist propaganda. And it is being used as such to this day. Yeah. Intent doesn't equate to what something is. Mm -hmm. Like, I can intend to make an eraser. <laughs> if you make a gun, it's not an yeah, eraser. I was, I was using a much softer metaphor, but yeah, I can intend 
to make a prop gun, but if it shoots a real person, then it's just a gun. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about this movie. We should start with Scarlet, because if we try to talk about Melanie, we will only talk about Scarlet. <laughs> Scarlet O'Hara, played I guess by the, other the late thing Vivian Lee. We need to address is the idea of Scarlet being feminist, because that's like the other big argument for this movie. I, I don't think that argument is thrown around as much. I've seen it thrown around. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't look into it because I didn't think it was my... I looked into it a little bit, and in general, the arguments boil down to, on paper, the things she does are cool and feminist. And my argument is, but in reality, they are not. So the idea that, like, she is taking on this masculine role by being in charge of the family, by traveling by herself, by being like against the practices of widowship and stuff like that. Like she is going against the code. And while I'm saying these things, and if you have not watched this movie, it is very easy to be like, yeah. Rah, rah. Is, Those are all rah, cool rah. Things. These are good things. She does a murder. That's cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> Not, but not because of her. And the problem is, is that none of these accomplishments are really hers in the context of the movie. They are only hers on paper. In the movie, she is not self-empowered. She doesn't want to go against marriage. She's just mad she can't be with the person she wants. And it's very creepy. It's very. It's also very childish, right? This idea yeah. that like we like, have we have to get into that separately. Okay, okay. Her whole romantic interests is like a separate conversation. Okay, okay. Her widowshipness is like yeah, having to like sacrifice the rest of your life to be a widow does suck. However, it is kind of a consequence of her own actions, and it is another consequence that like she doesn't actually have to face. And so, in theory, I agree, widowship should not be the end of your life. But in reality of the movie, she never really like has to deal with it. And she's not actually against the institution of widowship as like an idea. She just doesn't want her to have consequences. Like she's just against her being punished for anything. She's constantly making bad decisions. And that's if you have a character who is constantly making bad decisions, either because they are bad for her or because they are society looked societally looked down upon. There has to be some consequence to it in order for her for this character to like grit their teeth on it, right? To like mm-hmm. hone their edge on those expectations to prove to society that society is wrong. And a good example of this is in Pride and Prejudice. Mm-hmm. But Scarlett O'Hara never never really hones herself on these problems. Everything just kind of washes off of her and she's never touched by it, either because it doesn't matter. She made a bad decision and it doesn't matter, or because somebody else bails her out. Well, I guess she like helps give birth to a baby. But it's a moment of competency that is at the expense of an African-American slave uh, who literally gets hit in that scene. So no, I don't think this is empowering. I think this is directly abusing and, again, just treating African-Americans like garbage. And the whole empowerment of that scene is that she's better than a black woman. So I don't think she gets the cred for that. I like to think of myself as a feminist, (laughs) which is a sentence you never want to hear a dude say. But I, I do, but like, feminism in the same way that like I consider you know like like communism it should never come at the expense of anyone else anyone else because it's about equality yeah exactly and if if you lose sight of that right you fall into you know 
very racist white feminism, as in the case of early women's emancipation movements mm-hmm. in the United States, or you fall into the case of trans-exclusatory feminism, like we see today. Like, we, the, the point of feminism is not, fuck you, I got my equality, and you don't deserve yours, or you should fight for it separately. It's about equality for everyone, and feminism is, in particular, I, I think... All right, and maybe I'm wrong. You can correct me on this. Uh, a more of a lens with which to fight those power, those systems of power. Agreed. But yeah, feminism is a lens. The means is a different thing altogether. So, and then she like travels by herself, but she doesn't actually. She like travels with a man, with and then the man abandons her, and she like cries a bunch, and then she finishes traveling by herself. But like, it's not really empowering because we don't see her really do it. And also, uh, she abandons the people she traveled with almost immediately as soon as they get to their destination. So she clearly, like, doesn't care about them. And I guess what I'm trying to say, what it boils down to is every time she does something cool, it is either at the expense of someone else or done so uncompassionately that I, can't, I, that I physically and emotionally cannot condone her actions because she is acting in selfishness and i can't be like wow that selfish person is a real feminist it's like no she's a girl boss she's girl bossing Mm -hmm. i don't think that's feminism yeah is scarlet really is the definition of uh gaslight gatekeep girl boss like in every possible way i'm curious not to i don't want to like talk about pride and prejudice too much because it's uh, I do think this book takes a lot of notes out of that. But book, it does though. it does feel like it does feel like the character of Scarlet is so much trying to rip off that conceit. No, for sure. And fails at every aspect to do anything with it. The problem uh, is is that Pride and Prejudice is giving you a fantasy, right? The idea of aristocracy, but also poverty within that and having to deal with the prejudice of almost being rich but not enough. So you get the splendor of it, but you still get the struggle. This movie doesn't want the struggle. It only wants the fantasy. So she's rich. She's popular. She knows exactly what to say to get everyone's attention. She's good at manipulating people. She's super hot. And the thing is, is when your character has literally every advantage, when they do cool things, it has to be at the expense of other people. It has to be taking advantage of a situation because there's no situation in which they're disadvantaged. You cannot have every aspect of fantasy in a story because that's just a villain yeah and i mean like when you look at any of jane austen's novels her female characters are succeeding at the expense of men mm-hmm. at the expense of, or at the expense of a of Society a patri- yeah, of a patriarchal or... force mm-hmm. um and that's kind of what makes it in its own way proto-feminist right or yeah. pre you know i would definitely early feminism jane austen is proto-feminist but but scarlet Everything she does is at, the, is at the expense of women or black people or black women <laughs> or black women, um, specifically black women slaves. Yeah. Like there's no there's nothing heroic about that. In also, s- she's it, never trying to be better than men. She is always trying to get with men. <laughs> and it really takes away from the argument of like she's a feminist when like she is literally trying to marry one man the entire Three hours and 59 minutes. And then at the last minute, she's like, I guess I want to get with this different guy who has it all. And it's like, that's not really feminism. She's not trying to like overcome the patriarchy. She's trying to sleep with like the hottest bachelor. And I think you could argue that there is like a feminism to like the freedom of sexuality and being with who you want to be with. She doesn't 
want to be with people. She wants to like sleep to the top. And that is like a different stereotype. That is a patriarchal stereotype of women. She's all, but also she is at the top. She's at the top. So really it's just, it's a petulantness, right? Like, well, if I don't get to be with the perfect dude that I deem to be perfect for me, then my life is suffering. Even though I have literally everything I want. And I am, in fact, a child throwing a fit over a toy because this man isn't even a person to me. He's literally an object. I need to get into the way she treats men and how I think that that is actually not very feminist. Because, like, the bulk of my argument is actually, like, her relationship with men is a huge part of what's not feminist about this. And I think a huge part of why people might think this is feminist Mm -hmm. is because she treats men like objects. And maybe that's, like, empowering. But here's the thing is, is, like, no... We're fighting for equality, not to shit on the other sex. There's something that could be interesting there, yeah. right? You know, like um, Devil Wears Prada-ish, you know? Yeah, when, yeah, if you, yeah. The, the idea of like using the patriarchy to your advantage. But that's um, not what this character is. But no, this character is not that. She, it's so creepy. It is my biggest pet peeve in romance. And I think it's really gross. And I think it is kind of unique that a woman's doing it, but that doesn't make it okay or acceptable. She's like stalking this guy who's in a relationship his name is ashley ashley wilkins ashley's gonna get married in the beginning of the movie and she's like ashley you can't get married i love you and before she does this she's like flirting with a bunch of guys but i'm not gonna like slut shame whatever she flirt with whoever she wants to i do think it makes it really hard to feel bad or relate to her character again just because well, she's super she, popular she wants the one thing she can't have and maybe that's interesting but it's not she's but she's also not she's not flirting with a bunch of dudes because she wants to flirt with a bunch of dudes right that's not she's not flirting with, a bunch, flirting of dudes with a bunch of dudes to get to one make dude's him attention. to make him specifically jealous of her yeah anyways so she's like i love you and i want to be with you and he's like no i think you're hot he doesn't say this literally but it's sort of where the story goes i think you're hot but like we're not good for each other we don't really know each other and this other person who is my cousin and that like that's not great (laughs) i did completely forget about that yeah they're cousins she gets me we're blood she's my cousin like yeah uh sure dude i like this lady more than you for weird reasons but whatever and then she like kisses him against his will and then a thing they'll do again implies he's into it even though this is molestation, he pushes her away and is like, no, I'm going to get married. So he gets married to this other woman and she stalks him his whole life. He is stalking. She is stalking him to try to like get with him, even though he's married, even though he's told her no. And he will continue to tell her no multiple times. It and is for three hours. We watch this woman undermine him. And I need to emphasize the genders don't matter here. It's creepy. What she's doing is creepy. Like, can you imagine someone saying they like you and then becoming best friends with your, like, spouse and never leaving you alone again? It's so creepy. It's so gross. It's so, like, my worst fears as a human being. It is a level of emotional manipulation and pushing past established boundaries and the movie like of course the movie never deals with it no. but it's never discussed because like that type of like discussion doesn't exist but like on top of all of that it's pathetic like on top of it being creepy and gross and just fucking awful it's the stuff of literal nightmares the stuff of literal nightmares like 
to see this character who is supposed to be so strong and so independent throw herself at this dude's feet like sobbing every chance she gets because he won't love her back for literal years this movie happens over decades it's like gross to watch like as a dude i would not i i do not see this as like ah damn this makes her even hotter. hotter like it's it's definitely like serial killer shit for sure wild she marries a bunch of men in the same goal of like trying to make him jealous first guy she marries who is melanie's for the gun literally melanie's brother yeah again she will not she will do anything to stay next to him to stay next to him uh that guy dies off screen we never hear from him again she's a widow she's upset about it the second guy she marries she marries for financial gain yeah and she marries for financial gain. And then he's like, I'm trying to run a store. And she's like, your store should have more slavery. Um, we'll get into that. <laughs> and then... She marries the main love interest. Rhett, she marries Rhett Butler. A darling, I don't give a damn himself. Also for financial gain, right? Yeah, also for financial gain. because So that she can just be rich and fancy free. Yeah. And the entire time, she's just like, oh, but... I'm still in love with, with Ashley. Ashley and I'm still actively hitting on him and telling him I love him constantly. Like you helped deliver this man's child, child from his wife's womb <laughs> whom you are related to technically now. Also who you constantly tell us the audience you fucking hate. He goes on endlessly about how much she fucking hates melanie even though she is the person clinging desperately to her skirt and like abusing her generosity at every turn and then has the fucking gall to be like oh but i fucking hate this bitch and it sucks it's it sucks to watch she's so selfish and unappreciative and awful it's like and she's like this for the whole movie she, she never learns any lesson. She, I, it is astounding to watch a character go through four hours of film and not change a single fucking atom. I think she ends that movie with the same blood that was in her when she fucking started. <laughs> like, that's how little she changes. It's she fights tooth and claw, everything thrown at her to stay the same. Which is kind of a that metaphor, right, for what this movie's doing in a way. <laughs> yeah. But actually. like... This isn't, this isn't like a good main character. You don't want to root for her because she sucks. She's the protagonist of yeah. the story and that the story revolves. Like, the camera revolves around her, although the story does revolve around Melanie's Yeah, the story, the story revolves around Melody. A Me much Mel more interesting character. Yeah, Melanie, because she is like a son given to us by God. But Scarlet is the, is the focal point, right? Like she's mm -hmm. the character who has, who we see on screen for the most of the movie. I don't even think that a character, like a character doesn't necessarily have to change for a story to be good, right? Like The Great Gatsby is a fantastic story of an unchanging person, right? Like Gatsby, Daisy, and Tom, and even, what's his fucking name, Ned? Yeah. Like these, these are four awful, horrible, miserable people. And all of them are fighting change because change is frightening, mm -hmm. right? Like even Gatsby, who goes through a lot of like, social change mm -hmm. as a person cannot help change. but cannot help but remain the same stubborn person 
it leads to, you know, like his death. And it isn't until the very last moments of the book that Ned kind of accepts that maybe he needs to change. But the book kind of leaves it up in the air, right? Like, is it possible for somebody, for anybody who lives their life so lavishly and terribly to, to change. actually change? Yeah. Who knows? That's not the point of the book. But like, you can write a story with unchanging characters and say something about the world or say something about the characters. Mm -hmm. But this movie has nothing to say about the world. It has nothing to say about Scarlet or other women like her. It has nothing to say about, you know, anything other than, you know, the South was great. It shouldn't have lost the Civil War. And actually the KKK are heroes. And the KKK are heroes, actually. But like everything that this movie has to say is retrospective, right? Yeah. It's because it's rewriting history. Mm -hmm. But it has nothing to say that's progressive in either the literal or like non-literal context of that word. And so Scarlet is just all of the emotions of a fucking clod of dirt. <laughs> I was going to say a really grumpy like five-year-old, but yeah. Yeah, sure, right? Like it's... And it's it's frustrating as a movie viewer mm -hmm. to have to spend so much time with such a miserable character mm -hmm. and then on top of all that have nothing to gain from it. <laughs> and then on top of all that have to deal with the very racist things yeah, happening. That she does. That she's and doing actively. Yeah, I so I think the other thing I want to talk about when we talk about Scarred's character is her relationship to her slaves. But what you need to know is that actually they're all lazy. And it's up to Scarlet to show them how to work correctly because they don't really know how to do anything because they're so lazy and stupid. There is a line. And also she physically abuses them. So that's yes. nice. There is a line given by one of the houseworkers. Um, the houseworking slaves tells her that they don't know how to till fields because they are houseworkers. And that is a load of bullshit oh, that is a crock of fictional shit is like i don't know how to deliver how to deliver babies yeah which is also which bullshit. is also bullshit like, if you know if like and like not to say that it isn't possible but like the reality let's talk about the material reality of what slavery was uh the material reality of slavery meant that you did whatever you were told you didn't and that meant and that often you were with someone who was working outside or doing another shitty job. It's not like all slaves stayed inside. In fact, inside slaves usually slept outside with the outside slaves. And also, like, you didn't just become uh, a houseworking slave, right? Like, position that wasn't like a venerable position. Like, mm -hmm. chances are, if you were a houseworking slave, it's because you had been there for a really long time, which meant that you worked your way kind of up the totem pole. From field work, from field hand to field worker to field to foreman to like overseer. And eventually, you know, if and this is a thing that's um, if you've ever read Malcolm X, he talks about right like the highest position that you could get was to be a, a slave that worked in the house because it gave you a semblance of power over those who worked outside. Right. You weren't a white man, but to the other slaves, you you had all the power that they had. So to frame that as if you could go through a lifetime of being a slave and not know how to work a field is not only fictional bullshit, not only revisionist, but insulting, but also, you know, the other material reality of being a slave is if you were a woman, chances are very, very high that you were sexually assaulted, if not raped, either by 
your owner or other slaves. Also, a huge thing that happened was that they, uh, slave owners often would try to make their slaves pregnant for free labor they didn't have to buy. Mm -hmm. So it was a pretty big thing yeah. to just make sure a lot of your slaves were pregnant all the time and, so that you kept getting more free labor. And they didn't, and you didn't get a doctor to do that. You would have, you know, other slave women who were wet nurses to take care of that for you because, again, you don't want to waste the money to go get a doctor. So the idea that any... Black woman no matter, wouldn't be familiar? I don't care how young she is, she would be familiar familiar that is the reality right but this book isn't trying this movie i keep saying book this movie isn't trying to sell you on a reality it's trying to sell you on a fantasy but it's just it's so and i know this is such a weird thing to get up in, but it's so gross to me that like they cannot even have their own physical labor like even that is taken from them mm -hmm. the realities of their life they cannot even have oh yeah this because, white woman has to do it for yeah them. like the, this movie and i do it for them I guess yell at them how to do it because she's not doing that I mean, labor. The, it, to point, right? Like this movie portrays working in a field as being the easiest thing in the world at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. Right? Like the the slaves who are working the field, they, they're they singing and laughing and having a great time and joking around. It's not a labor of sweat and blood until Scarlet has to do it herself. In which case, it's the worst thing in the world. It's the worst thing in the world. What the fuck in does... In fact... What does her sister say? God's hateful for making us work out in the fields like, and then she gets interrupted. But like what, I wonder? Like, like, like a, like a slave would? Like you would have, like, like not... A well, she's not allowed of... to say the N-word anymore. Oh, yeah. That's a, I, I bet it was in there. You're absolutely right. I bet what that's was, where it was. What was the, the phrase? The printers must have wore off the letter N writing the script. <laughs> yes. That was uh, in one of the one of the articles written in protest of the movie Yeah, um, by an um, African-American editor at the time. It's... The movie loves to revel in its own hypocrisy so much. Like, the movie will, in one turn be like, actually, the North are all friggin' pansies and they don't know what real labor is, to, oh no, the amassing horde of devils are pillaging the helpless South. Yeah. And it does the same with slavery. Like, oh, slavery is so easy and we're helping them to, oh, they're, I cannot believe I'm being asked to work so hard. And it is like, which is it? Is it incredibly easy, actually, and delightful? Is the North like wimps and babies or are they an evil satan horde and is slavery actually kind of hard it's trying to sell you on the idea that african-americans are just built different which is eugenicist and racist in its own way but also really it, popular right now in the 1940s yeah but also it, they don't care that it's hypocritical right this is objective fascism like to talk about things in this way right because yeah. both things need to be true in their weird fucked up world mm -hmm. it needs to be true that Working in the fields isn't actually that hard. African-American slaves are just lazy. Mm -hmm. But also, when given any semblance of power, they will become like rabid, wild oh. men and carpetbaggers. We haven't even gotten into... Yeah, the carpetbaggers are rich black people who are abusing the poor plantation owners. These poor, the poor, hard-working plantation owners who've already had everything taken, taken from, from them, them namely their slaves specifically their slaves um, real really realistically their slaves and literally not their land or anything else actually yeah because because the moment that that those kinds of like land reclamation bills tried to get passed through these um 
Senates, they were immediately struck down as unconstitutional by by the Supreme Court. And then those American politicians were pushed out of politics forever. Literally, she's walking through town looking at black men in suits with fear being like how terrible like the the literal like visual representation is how terrible these black men are in suits how disgusting how disgusting and it's so wild and and the movie the movie tries so hard to make these guys look like they're they're villains in some way yeah they're they're, dancing to music they're dancing to music they're laughing and having fun how could they how could they be having fun civilization has been destroyed and they're laughing while dancing upon our ashes and also rebuilding the city of atlanta uh because somebody has to the way that this movie kind of shows us that actually these uh black men are awful and evil capitalists is that unlike our scarlet unlike our scarlet who is a awful and evil evil capitalist marries for monetary gain anyway is that we have a scene where this uh, this carriage is riding into town, and there is a, a black man with like a big old suitcase, like like whistling Windex or whatever the hell he's doing, coming into town, and he has a he has a white carriage driver. Oh no, the shame! And they get the st- order, the natural order has been reversed. Has been reversed, and they get stopped by uh, poor white Southerners, and one of them's like, "Please, do you have room in your carriage for this man? He needs to go to a hospital because he's dying." And the the carriage driver stands up and is like, I don't have any room in my carriage for a Southerner, alive or dead, and starts whipping him. And I'm like, hmm, this doesn't work. In fact, it's hysterical. Because one, yeah, actually, if you're all like just Confederate soldiers who are dying, I hope you die. <laughs> I, I hope you never make it back to town. But two, the the imagery of like a white dude whipping other white dudes while... <laughs> a black dude watches is so farcical when this movie has not even tried to show the reality of the horrors of slavery, right? It's nonsense. And this is how they try to make them out to be villainous. Can you imagine? They would whip people, would they? Would they? Because this movie certainly threatens to whip their black slaves a lot, actually. That sounds... It, like it would be pretty bad if anybody was uh, whipped by any anybody else, especially if it was on the basis of their race. <laughs> Woof! Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Also, ignore all the times Scarlet threatens to whip her slaves, even mm-hmm. after they've been freed, mm-hmm. for doing things as insulting as telling her it's a bad idea to chase after a married man. <laughs> after this, I promise I'm done talking Sc- about Scarlet. We're done with Scarlet. Cast It'll her- come up again. Um, so the other thing that happens that I think it sort of falls into my my feminist lap is the way they talk about molestation is very gross. So she gets molested. Her being molested is framed as a sort of redemption for all of the bad capitalism she's been doing. And also for riding a carriage alone. Mostly for riding a carriage alone, actually. Everyone is like, hey, you rode in a carriage alone. You not only deserve to be molested, but also you killed your husband for riding in a carriage alone and getting molested. You are the cause of your husband's death because you rode in a carriage alone. Now, And I'm just saying that's wild. Yeah, so how did her husband die? Well, he died off screen first. Her second husband. Her second husband died off screen, just like her first. But also he died riding into town with a white hood over his head as a member of the KKK to burn down the shanty town that she had ridden through. Yeah. And now, not only is it bananas to even conceive of that as being remotely her fault, but also 
wild for it to kind of be framed as a good thing. As a good thing that, that these like, guys... Like, this is the one punishment she gets that, like, she deserved. And it's like, no, actually. Molestation is never, like, a divine punishment. Nope. And also, again, cannot emphasize this enough. Not only is it used as a divine punishment for, like, her writing in a carriage loan slash maybe doing capitalism a little too much, it is also... Like, used as a way of being like, aren't black men disgusting when they're freed? They're all just rapists. Wonder yeah, this if is... we've ever done that to any other minority. Yeah, and, like, the movie doesn't say that this is the, the KKK, but I can assure you that it is, that it was. Come on, like, it's the KKK. Like, that's what this is. It's not... The movie isn't, call, the movie isn't like, even trying to call them anything else. It just doesn't refer to them by name. Every man in this movie... <sighs> is either in the KKK or a sympathizer for the KKK. Mm-hmm. Those are the heroic men of this movie. Some some people might point out that like historically the KKK is divided into kind of two historical parts. There is the KKK that operated during the Reconstruction Era that was forcibly arrested and put down by the Union Army under the presidency of Ulysses S. Grant. And then there was the later kind of re-rise of the KKK that happened during I kind of the Jim Crow era. I wonder if any movies helped them feel like they and, should be empowered to do so. Yeah, and this movie, so they were actually already around before this movie I came know. out, but it did make them more popular. It actually increased their membership. their membership and also increased their influence politically and allowed a lot of people who were involved and like part of these different sects of the KKK at the time to fundraise statues for Confederate generals, mm. which is, this is when they kind of start, you know, all those statues that we started knocking down because they're bullshit and stupid. They start getting erected after this movie comes out with this movie kind of being used as a point of course, right? To point at their glorious history. Mm-hmm. But those KKK are separated from the other KKK who were the same thing, racist vigilante vagabonds going around and killing African-Americans in the name of white supremacy and racism. But they were all, again, forcibly arrested and murdered by, well, not murdered, killed by the by the Union Army under Ulysses S. Grant. And honestly, one of the few good things he did as a president. Yeah. Let's talk about Rhett. I don't think I have much to say about Rhett Butler. He's kind of a boring character who his entire the entire performance of the character rests entirely on Clark Gable being Clark Gable, which we've talked about before on this podcast. Um, you just slimeball Han Solo shit. It's the same thing again. He's doing it once more. The one scene he's charming. The next scene he's, he's forcibly kissing a woman. Yeah, he's just a total like misogynist asshole, uh, and that's a good thing. I think there are a couple of things of note to Rhett as a character that I I would like to get into mm-hmm. if it weren't for the fact that I think the rest of this movie is a crock of shit. There is a point in this movie in which he rapes Scarlett O'Hara. Yeah. That it, it is both implied in the movie mm-hmm. and like by all of the framing and also like he says outright he apologizes in the, the next day for doing this. And the fact that the movie just treats this as a thing that just happens is fucking disgusting. Not only does the movie treat it as a thing that just happens, the movie really implies that it's what Scarlett needed and she she loves him more for it. It's, she had a she good loves him time. at all. She loves him at all. It she wakes up the slave is, mammy's in the room and she's like you seem like you're in a really good mood and she's like oh i'm in a great mood i actually loved getting raped by my husband it is she the, doesn't say that but it is so fucking weird I and had, nonsensical i had 
whiplash. Yeah. The, like just the horrible thing that was happening. The horror of seeing just... her dragged up the stairs, literally like crying and screaming to her being like, I had a fantastic time. It's fucking bananas. I, so a thing that I think like we kind of need to get into is talking about like romance writers, specifically like female romance writers and rape. Because it's a thing that happens a lot in romance yeah there there unfortunately. is yeah and i mean it's a complicated history for sure especially yeah. in regards to the specific writers and how how it is utilized agreed non-con as ao3 would put it <laughs> but yeah the idea that like what a woman needs is just to have a manly man assert himself and specifically like a fickle woman and it doesn't matter that it is like a woman author who's writing this. It is a misogynist idea. And just because she has bought into the misogynist idea, the fantasy of this does not mean that is a good fantasy. No. And does not mean that it is treated well. And does not mean that it is honestly not horrifying to watch. Like as a woman, that scene made my skin crawl. Yeah. No, More it, than it, the random man fumbling actually. <laughs> It, no, I it, the it, the sorry the inherent terror of the person you should be able to trust most in the world taking advantage of you is a very scary thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know like what the reality of law of these like laws are in the United States, but like there are definitely places in the United States that don't consider non-consexual or forced sex with a with your spouse to be a crime. Yeah, and that king heinous and like it's one of those things where like any sort of like cool or interesting complexity that Rhett Butler's character could have had in that instance is destroyed. He is nothing more than a sexual predator and a monster from then on for me. And like, and you know, like whatever you think of in terms of like, Oh, they were different times. Go fuck yourself. Like this is a very serious thing that still happens in this country. And it still happens to women today in the world time when this is what domestic violence looks like. He is violent towards her physically very, very often. They are violent towards each other physically he, for sure. Yeah, he he pushes her around and she constantly hits him. Their relationship is honestly terrible. This and is awful. the story. This is the story of two incredibly toxic people <laughs> who are both manipulative and abusive to each other. But that does not make this okay. Like this is a step further than all of the other violence they have put on each other. Mm-hmm. And really, like again, I don't fault him as an actor. I fault the writing and like what this story is trying to say about the world and like it's disgusting at the risk of sounding like i'm writing homestuck like this movie exists with these characters on like four different quadrants <laughs> and like who these characters are in the world are kind of important scarlet is for, in spite of all of our disagreements framed as a power fantasy right yeah how the author wishes women could act mm-hmm. Rhett is kind of a, an, a counterbalance to her. He is the manliest of men, the ruggedest of the rugged, the cynical of the cynical. What is what is the Batman quote? The guy he needs, if not the guy he deserves? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's the guy that she needs to tame her and to yeah. blah, blah, blah. Which all that is other hot, though, which is portrayed as being hot. Yeah, and that's, and that's the fantasy, right? That's yeah. the sexual fantasy is being a strong woman who is tamed by a stronger man, I guess. Yeah. But like to kind of counterbalance him, we have Ashley, who is a gallant knight, a perfect gentleman fights for the southern side fights, fight, who fights for the confederacy because he believes in and is the also cause, part of the kkk and is also part of the kkk because he believes in the cause the thing about ashley that makes him a lesser man to rhett butler is that 
he's too hopeful. She deals in dreams and not in realities. Yeah. But that's part of what makes him like the perfect man, right? Mm -hmm. Is he wants to build a better future and laments the fact that he has to live in a real world that doesn't fit him or that Mm -hmm. he doesn't fit into anymore Mm -hmm. because the the one he would have fit into is the one where he owned slaves. (laughs) Although he would tell you otherwise. Oh, yeah. What is his line? I would have freed them when I got back from the war anyway. Yeah, if the union hadn't done it for me. Well, you know, if that were the case, if you wouldn't were really so cool. Wouldn't you have freed so cool, them before the war started, actually? Yeah, wouldn't you have just freed wouldn't them? Wouldn't you have not fought for the South, actually? Actually, if you really believe, if you were really against slavery so much. Other than that, he really doesn't serve any purpose. But but that's what, that's all he is, is he's, he's a, a foil. He's a foil for Rhett and exists to be exists to be better than him in every way except for the fact that he doesn't love her and that's kind of nothing let's talk about melanie melanie god's his cousin god's own personal virgin mary gifted unto the confederacy by his hand selfishness scarlet has melanie does not metaphorically and literally the perfect southern belle is what melanie represents she is everything that scarlet can't be heavy air quotes and i don't agree but should be yeah i don't agree that like you should be melanie here's the thing is this movie does such a poor job of making anything about scarlet likable it kind of convinces you like actually you should be a melanie melanie maybe you should fit a little bit more into these roles and by fit into these roles i mean have any amount of compassion or believe in anything for a second melanie in part because Melanie has to be so perfect. perfect, becomes a more interesting character because there's a contradiction between mm-hmm. like how she acts and how others perceive her. She is weak but good, and yet she is more than willing to pick up a sword to like stab a Yankee, right? Like she is incapable of like nuance or subtlety and yet she's pious but not haughty so she's able to like she's like super chill with prostitutes she's able to treat them like human beings even though she believes that they are lesser and like those tensions those contradictions form uh what we would like interesting character yeah what we would or what i would just like to call a character right like the idea of like and she's trying to uphold this while also being thrust at this woman who keeps trying to steal your husband but knowing like being so assured in yourself and in your husband that you are willing to put up with this and also be sympathetic towards this honestly very pitiable woman and like and on top of all that we never see this woman own a slave we never nope. see her mistreat anybody with she never even black skin slaps a black girl it's can you imagine and, how hard that and, must be and don't get me wrong this woman is as shitty and as racist as any other character but in none this of film that's on screen god it's so refreshing she also has so much chemistry with clark gable oh it's true it's when i say chemistry i don't necessarily mean romantic although it could be it could have been like if but my fan fiction. There is something. <laughs> there is a scene in the movie. I think it's the most effective scene in the movie when um, Scarlett tells Clark or tells Rhett Butler mm-hmm. that she is pregnant with their next child, and they get into an argument, and she goes to hit him, and he gets out of the way, and she falls down the stairs and has a miscarriage. Which, if you ever wonder where that trope came from, look no further. We found it. I was always curious, but never curious enough, and it was answered for me by my own incuriosity. So he is pitifully drunk and like 
Real sad. Real sad. It is the most that Clark Gable has ever looked like a human being in a movie. And Melanie shows up and they're having this conversation where she's like, oh, Scarlett doesn't blame you. Like, I know you love her and like she knows you love her and that you and that you didn't mean for this to happen. At some point in that conversation, he tells her, if you knew who she truly loved, would you really want to console her or console me? And on a dime, like before he gets to finish the sentence, Melanie tells him, I didn't think you indulged in such rumors. And it is such a powerful line from her. She's not saying he's wrong. She's not calling him out for lying. She's She's not not disagreeing disagreeing with with him. him. She's just saying, that's not what this is about. Yeah. And God, like what a good character. I wish she wasn't a racist Southerner. I wish the movie was about her. It was about her. Um, and like she does so much good in this movie that she can't help. Also, so a thing we mentioned earlier, yeah. the plot revolves around her. Every plot contrivance until the very end when like Scarlet's not really the main character anymore. Melanie's even the reason that Rhett Butler meets Scarlet in the first place because he was escorting her mm-hmm. from Sh- Charlottesville to wherever the fuck they were. Yeah. The relationship between Scarlet and Rhett kills her because it's too much it's so much for her to fix she can't fix it she can't fix it and so she dies she dies on their cross to save their sins. <sighs> to save their sins so that's melanie yes a real trope of a woman but the only really interesting character mm-hmm. in her weird defiance of those tropes yeah by her it, to it, them. it goes to show right that you know sometimes you don't have to break boundaries to break boundaries. Yeah. <sighs> I want to talk a little bit about the, um, I want to talk a little bit more about the African-American characters in this movie because I, yeah, I was going to say we, we need to get into, I don't want to sideline them, but Agreed. they really are inconsequential to the film. You know, Haiti McDaniels is doing a very powerful performance as Mammy and sorry, just the stereotype is called a Mammy. Yeah. And, and it's like, yeah, that's, this yeah, is her. This is her. That's what she Way is. To make, oh. I think it's performative. For people to say that she steals the show. Mm-hmm. I don't think she's in the movie. Enough to do that. Enough to do that. But she definitely is a presence. And every time she's around, she has a, an emotional weight to her her performance that I think a lot of the other, um, especially the other African-American actors just don't have. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think part of that is because they just don't have that many lines, but also because all of the other African-American actors in this movie exist to sell punchlines. Yeah. And that's, and that's really all that... To be fair, I also think Mammy exists to sell a punchline. Yes. But Um, like all three of them are a specific stereotype and that stereotype is meant to be laughed at. Yeah, but I I think that specifically Mammy's character has more to do in the story. Yeah, I agree. And and more purpose in the narrative. And isn't doing a terrible fake voice that Yeah, isn't doing a terrible, awful voice and playing it up for the screen and Mm There's something insidious about this movie's portrayal of African-Americans because they are entirely docile. There's a quote. I don't remember who said it. African-American slaves in in the United States are the luckiest to have lived because they won their freedom without having to lift a finger. And that kind of mentality, that quote comes from before this book is even written. But that kind of mentality is on full display here where African-Americans are not only perfectly complacent, but also completely ambivalent and oblivious to the concept of slavery or freedom. And that is simply not true. It is an unfact. It is a fucking lie. African-Americans in the United States were 
constantly trying to fight for their freedom from the moment that they were chained in Africa to the moment that they set foot on on U.S. soil, like, and to portray them as fucking tinker toys, just sitting around waiting to be freed and then sitting around and waiting to be enslaved again is, it induces an anger in me that I couldn't quite place. It makes this movie so hard to watch because it is so insulting. This is in the year 1939. They are not two generations away from their grandfathers being enslaved and having to do these things. To try and portray this as progress is beyond parody. It's just, if you can't watch this and it make you fucking pissed, then you Or at least uncomfortable. Or at the very least uncomfortable. Yeah, maybe it doesn't make you mad. Maybe it makes you uncomfortable, but whatever, right? Like the goal of the movie is to make it go down smooth. That and if it works for you, if you can watch this movie and not feel any sense of anger at what these what these African American actors are being forced propaganda. to do, yeah, that it's working. You are being worked. Don't get me wrong; like no one is immune to propaganda. We we just spent like a whole twenty minutes like, talking about how cool how Melanie cool Melanie is. is, right? Like we fall for it as much as anybody else. But like you have to you have to step back and be aware and have that context. And like watching a movie like this should make you mad. This is a movie that's peddling lies racist white supremacist rhetoric and if you see it as anything other than that then you are willing to ingest it because it tastes sweet so what are the ages of these actors i guess like what yeah we're not gonna talk about favorite scenes (laughs) um yeah all right i'm down let's do it let's talk about how old these actors are let's start with let's start with clark gable i feel like clark gable is getting up there in age he's been in hollywood for like 10 years at this point Mm -hmm. uh i'm gonna say he's in his 50s we've had clark gable on before twice i think now yeah and the last time you guessed his age you guessed that he was in his 40s consistency is key Mm mm-hmm and um, you were, I'm just saying you were wrong. Oh, so. is he even older than I think? Is he in his 60s? Stop giving me hints. I'm going to go with my original guess. I think he's like 52. 52. Okay, that's good. So Clark Gable was born in 1901, which means that when this movie was filmed, he would have been 38. Jesus. Why so. does he look so old? He, he looks a lot worse at the beginning of this movie than I think by the end of it. I think by the end, he's starting to look, he looks more his age. So I think they put a lot of makeup on him to make him look younger at the beginning. Yeah, and it then, doesn't work. He looks really old in this movie. Like yeah. he looks so much older than the main actress. Yeah. And, and on I just that, feel like Clark Gable's got an old face. I look at him and he, I think he, he definitely does have an old face. I will give you that. Vivian Leigh who played Scarlett O'Hara, how old do you think um, she was? Well, um, emotionally in the movie, like five. <laughs> I, t- did anything really stand? At the end of the movie, she looks like pretty gaunt and old. So I'm going to guess like older 20s. I'm going to say like 28. So Vivian Leigh was born in 1913, which would have made her 26 at the mm-hmm. time of this movie, which mm-hmm. is a solid 12-year difference between her and Clark Gable. They definitely don't have any chemistry. No, and to be fair, I don't, I don't want to like shit on uh, Vivian Leigh as an actress. But also, she does not have like a stunning performance. She does not have a great performance. Uh, let's go to Leslie Howard, who played Ashley Wilkes. Uh, I think true love. He's, he, I'm going to say he's in his 40s. I'm going to say he's 44. 
Leslie Howard was born in 1893, which would have made him 46 at the time. Of, Dang. That's a solid 20 years older than Vivian Leigh, Ooh. his love interest. They kiss a lot. And not only that, but like eight years older than Clark Gable. Wild. Yeah. We're getting we're getting to those big age gaps, right? huh? Yeah, this is this is when I think of old Hollywood, these are the age gaps I'm thinking of. Yeah. And finally we have Olivia de Havilland who plays Melanie Hamilton. She looks really young this whole movie. Um literally an angel gifted to God. Literally an angel God. gifted to God, and God would gift us a twenty mm-hmm. five year old angel. So uh, Olivia de Havilland was born in 1916, which would have made her 23. Ooh. Half, half uh. the age of Leslie Howard. Oh, no. Ooh. Divide that 46 I and 2, baby, because she's 23. Oh. Which. This man could have given birth to her. Ooh, it's wild. I wanted to talk about. Land, Andy. Oh. Yeah, the beauty of the land and who the land really belongs to. Mm-hmm. This movie's general thesis revolves around land. I would say it's, I would go far as to say it's the movie's kind of overarching theme. Her, her landowning southern father is literally an immigrant from Ireland, which sort of undermines their whole like, yeah. we've lived here our whole lives. Uh, this is our land Who thing. did the land belong to before you got here from Ireland, you old fuck? Yeah, so that really doesn't work at all. And also, this movie artfully never talks about Native Americans, which is so gross in a movie that is obsessed with land ownership. Mm-hmm. But it's not its not complicated, right? When no. we talk about land and the American legacy, what we mean is America's white legacy, mm-hmm. right? It doesn't matter that... He literally yeah. got here two days ago. Yeah, it doesn't matter that he was born and raised in Ireland and immigrated to the United States by virtue of being uh, acceptably white. Because remember, Irish people were not acceptably white at the time frame that this movie takes place in. Which makes it still wild that he's Irish, TBH. So... But- like, he is acceptably white and therefore is allowed a piece of the American legacy. But the people who lived here prior to white people living here and the black bodies that they forced to come with them, right? Like, they're excluded. And from that's from land. that legacy. It, it is not their land because they wouldn't know what to do with it even if we let them keep it. So, um, do you think this movie deserves an Oscar? Fuck no! <laughs> I've been your critic, Mavis Evergreen. I have been your critic on the desk of AS. Uh, you can find my Twitter and yell at me about how wrong I am about this movie at Mavis Evergreen. <laughs> and you can find me on Twitter at royalty underscore balance. You can also find me on my other more lighthearted podcast, uh, direct2.video. Very rarely do you get into racial conflict. I do sometimes. sometimes I said it- rarely, not never. <laughs> Uh, deep waters that I sail often as it turns out but um, you can find me over at direct2.video I do that with my buddy Tony Robusto and you can find us timehonoredpictures.com if you are listening to us on iTunes we would really like it if you gave us a five star review Um, we would also like it if you you know told your friends uh, family whoever about this podcast I know it's not exactly the most palpable thing in the world (laughs) Um, but we don't do anything to market it we don't make any money off of this it's entirely for fun, so any little bit helps. Movie are we watching next? So we'll be watching Best Picture, Rebecca, directed by Alfred Hitchcock, ah. which is, I hear, a good one.
<laughs> Here you go. Take this lump of dirt. <laughs>